Tyree Nichols, the latest high-profile case of police brutality to result in murder charges. The lead starts right now. First fired, now charged, five former officers indicted and the death of Tyree Nichols. The victim's family says he was beaten like a human pinata. What led to the traffic stop that escalated to a physical encounter and Nichols' death three days later? That is the big question still today. Plus, the murder trial for Alec Murdoch, the once prominent attorney accused of killing his wife and son, the first witnesses called to testify, and the key recording the jury heard today. Plus, party fight. Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff drops his name in what's shaping up to be a hotly contested Senate race. Well, welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown. Jake Tapper is on assignment today, and we start today with breaking news. Five fired Memphis police officers have now been charged with murder and the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. The Shelby County District Attorney announced the charges this afternoon, which include second-degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated assault. Police say officers pulled Nichols over on January 7th, and after a confrontation, Nichols ran away. When officers caught up to Nichols, police say there was another confrontation before he was taken into custody. Nichols then complained of shortness of breath, was taken to the hospital, and then died three days later. The district attorney said today there was a, quote, elapsed period of time in getting medical help for Nichols when he was injured during the traffic stop. Now, video of the incident is expected to be released tomorrow night. And attorneys for Nichols' family who saw the video Monday described it as a heinous police beating. And the Memphis police chief called it inhumane. This is not just a professional failing. This is a failing of basic humanity toward another individual. This incident was heinous, reckless, and inhumane. And in the vein of transparency, when the video is released in the coming days, you will see this for yourselves. Family described Tyree Nichols as a family man who adored his mother and was working to create a better life for his four-year-old son. They say he loved skateboarding and photography, especially photographing sunsets. Well, CNN, Sarah Seidner and Don Lemon are on the scene in Memphis for us. Sarah, walk us through what these charges mean and the possible sentences. Yeah, I mean, these charges are big. They're huge, I think is the best way to say it, because you have a second degree murder charge. Uh, The family had been very clear that they wanted to see a murder charge because they believe from what they saw on this video that was absolutely egregious and brutal, that, that it was murder. And the district attorney agreed, and so did a grand jury. So you've got Uh, The second degree murder charge, you've got two charges of aggravated kidnapping. You have two charges of aggravated assault. Uh, These are charges that the family believes match what happened uh, to Tyree Nichols. Um, And we also heard very clearly from uh, the head of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations just how bad things were. Um, He talked about the fact that we are here today uh, because of this wound to one family that actually hurts us all. Um, And he said he was grieved that he himself, someone in law enforcement for a very long time, was shocked and sickened by what happened. And then he ended with saying it was absolutely appalling. And this was not only uh, bad policy, that they, they, that they didn't follow policy, it was 
illegal. Uh, and he feels that the right thing has been done here. So these charges are very serious. A second-degree murder here in Tennessee can be anywhere uh, from, you know, up to 16 years in, in, in prison. So this, these are extremely serious charges that each and every one of the police officers who were fired will now face. And you heard the DA also say that, look, you know, these charges are, are more and more aggressive than what you typically see in police brutality cases. But we feel these charges are warranted. And of course, he's saying this ahead of this video that is expected to be released tomorrow night, Don. And as you know, you just heard from Sarah, just hearing the description from the head of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation after he watched that video, it just gives you a sense of how horrific it is. How is the city preparing? Well, they are concerned about the possibility of violence, but it's believed that they, they don't think that, that will ha it will happen because of how they laid this out. Um, the planning in this, not releasing the videotape uh, ahead of, of, of the police chief and ahead of the charges. They wanted to get the charges out of the way. They wanted to speak to the family, and then they wanted to release the videotape. Now, there is some concern, quite honestly, about releasing that videotape after 6 o'clock on a Friday night. Some believe that it may escalate the violence because it is a Friday night and people aren't working or what have you. But there are others. One I just spoke to, the president of the NAACP here, who believes it actually helps give people the time to absorb. And they believe the circumstances on this are different. Honestly, there isn't the element they believe. I'm speaking for what the community members are saying, the element of race. All the officers are black. The victim is black. The police chief is black. The community is black. But the one constant that we have here is that the officers involved are blue, no matter the ethnicity of the officers. Mm -hmm. And the, obviously this was misconduct, according to the district attorney and to the police chief herself, who are saying that this is heinous, her words. So releasing the videotape was surprising to some on a Friday night. They weren't sure when they were going to release it. I got information earlier that it was going to be tomorrow, it turns out that that was indeed the case. Initially, Pamela, I thought it would probably be around noon to give people, you know, sort of midday to sort of digest it, get off of work, uh, and then go about their business. But after 6 o'clock on a Friday night, tomorrow night, mm -hmm. is when that videotape is expected to be released. Three different um, angles, one from a sky cam or pole cam, that's according to our John Miller, similar if not the same and then other body camera video over an hour of it some of it will have to be redacted or edited to protect witnesses and civilians and sources all right don lemon sarah seidner we are bracing for the release of that video i want to bring in cnn's nick valencia nick there are still a lot of questions about exactly what happened on january 7th but local officials have given a, a rough outline even with those questions outstanding they have, Evan. Uh, we learned new details during this press conference earlier this afternoon with the district attorney for the first time hearing that a taser was used, or rather pepper spray was used during this uh, confrontation as it's characterized by police. But much of what we know officially happened came out from a police statement uh, almost immediately after this incident occurred. Uh, so we know that Tyree Nichols was pulled over on the evening of January 7th at around 8.30 p.m. They say officers attempted to make a traffic stop for reckless driving. The statement went on to say that as officers approached the driver of the vehicle, a confrontation occurred and Nichols ran. Uh, officers, they say, then pursued Nichols again, attempted to take the suspect into custody, they write in the statement. While attempting to take the suspect into custody, 
another confrontation occurred. Uh, they say ultimately the suspect Nichols was apprehended. This second confrontation, it's what's been characterized by the Nichols family as this savage and violent beating. Uh, this statement went on to say that afterward, the suspect complained of having shortness of breath, at which time an ambulance was called. Uh, the suspect, Nichols, was transported to St. Francis Hospital in critical condition. The statement concluded by saying, due to the suspect's condition, the district attorney general's office was contacted and it was determined that the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation would handle this investigation. Now, we did reach out to the Memphis Police Department to try to get our hands on the police report, the incident report. Uh, they declined to give that to us, citing an active investigation. But earlier this afternoon, we did uh, speak to a family friend of one of the officers involved, Emmett Martin III. We spoke to his longtime family friend, Beanie Cobb, who is a retired Shell County Sheriff's Captain. And uh, Cobb said that Martin showed up at his office in the days after this incident with Nichols, appearing nervous about his future with the police department and remorseful. I saw the, the, uh, the, the pain on his face. He said he hadn't slept, you know, in, in, in probably five or six days. When he was expressing to me the things that went on, he was uh, teary-eyed. Cobb said that Martin went on to defend his use of force, saying he had to do what he had to do in order to get Nichols into custody. Clearly, the district attorney agrees. Martin now facing second-degree murder charges, among a slew of other charges. Pamela? Yeah, the district attorney certainly does not believe uh, that he did what he needed to do, that he went way beyond that. Nick Valencia, thank you. Here to discuss civil rights attorney Areva Martin, former incident commander in Ferguson, Missouri, Captain Ron Johnson, and former Richmond, Virginia police officer and CEO of Police Brutality matters, Joe Estid. Ariva, I want to start with you talking about these charges. Each officer is facing the same charges, even though, as the DA said, they play different roles in Tyree's death. He says they are all responsible for his death. That is why they are all facing these charges. What do you make of them and that strategy? Yeah, Pamela, it tells us that all of these officers played some role because we know if any of them had even made any effort to intervene to stop the other officers from engaging in this conduct, perhaps they would be facing different and perhaps not even charges at all. But because all of them have been charged with second degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, uh, and unofficial misconduct, we know that they all played some role and it had to be a pretty significant role, Pamela, in the beating of Tyree Nichols. What we didn't hear in that press conference was anything that to suggest that Mr. Nichols had a weapon, that they had any information that he was violent, or anything that would suggest that five officers needed to be involved in what we now know was that second altercation that led to the brutal beating. And I think that's important to note because we've seen too many of these cases where it's a routine traffic stop, Mm -hmm. a nonviolent with police that should not end in the death of a civilian like Mr. Nichols. Yeah, you heard that from Benjamin Crump, the family's attorney, saying there needs to be better low-threat procedures. This happens way too often. And, Ron, prosecutors could have gone for lesser charges for these officers, such as involuntary manslaughter, but they went with second-degree murder, which the DA said means knowingly killing someone. And the district attorney also said it's because of what we're going to see in this video what do you make of that? Joe? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Could you hear the question about the fact that? Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, okay. So um, the DA said that, you know, they could have gone for lesser charges, but instead they went with second degree murder, which means 
they believe these officers knowingly killed someone. Um, and they said it's because what we're going to see in this video, that one of the officials there today said was appalling. What do you make of that? I'm glad they went for the more serious charge because what we've seen is very serious. You have officers, uh, a part of an anti-crime unit, which I was definitely a part of. These guys are supposed to be out here targeting drugs, uh, stolen vehicles, burglaries, prostitutions. And it was a reckless driving offense. The guy runs out. This is very common in this particular unit. Guy runs out. Whatever confrontation happens, five officers had no justification in beating Tyree down like that. That that was sad. And I'm I'm glad that the charges that the prosecutor uh, was able to obtain uh, was uh, implemented. And Ron, you know, again, we heard the head of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation say it was sickening. It was appalling after serving in law enforcement in decades. And remember, this is a law enforcement agency, the head of one talking about another law enforcement agency. That stuck out to me. How unusual is it that you see such strong language like this in this circumstance? Well, I think we have law enforcement officers throughout this country to do a great job. And I think we have seen over the years that when we have incidents like this, officers do stand up and say that it's wrong. And we should send that message to the public and also those officers who wear the same uniform that we wear, that we're not going to tolerate that, that our profession is better than that. And so I think uh, the head of the TBI uh, did that very well in what he said today. And he was heartfelt and compassionate to the family and about what happened and what he saw. It also appears uh, today that the Memphis police chief was not in attendance at today's press conference. The DA said he doesn't know why. I'm wondering, Captain, how do you think her department prepares for when the public sees this incredibly disturbing video of officers who were formerly in her own police force? What do you think about that, Captain? Well, I think her interviews thus far have uh, stood up uh, and been transparent and been honest. And she has said that this is not what is expected of a law enforcement officer. This is not defined uh, her department. And immediately those officers were terminated. So I think it says a lot about her and the stance that she's taking. And I think that she must talk to the men and women and let them know that this can't define us. This has to make us better and make our community better. I'm wondering, Areva, what you made of this, because to my knowledge, it was the first time we had heard in this press conference that there was a lapse of time after the second confrontation for when police finally called uh, for help, for medical help. And I'm wondering how you see that factoring into these charges, particularly when it comes to the second degree murder charge, knowingly killing someone. What do you think? Yeah, I'm concerned about that as well, Pamela. And Don was able to do an interview with the district attorney before the press conference and ask about would there be charges filed against those first responders? Apparently there were two. And the district attorney said this investigation is ongoing, so he Mm -hmm. wouldn't commit to whether there would or not be charges. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some additional charges brought against those uh, EMT workers, but you're right. It plays into this notion that these officers, five of them who were brutally beat Mr. Nichols, knew, knowingly engaged in conduct that they knew could have resulted in his death. And if they delayed in getting him medical treatment after he said he couldn't breathe, I think that also played into the prosecutor's decision to file second degree murder charges rather than lesser charges. But it was clear officials there today, they, they did give some new information, but they made it clear they wanted the, the video to be released, be released and have the community, the public decide 
what their takeaways are. So we will see soon. Thank you all so much for being here and giving us a, your insights. We appreciate it. And we are standing by for an attorney for one of the fired officers charged in the case to respond to the indictment. We will bring that to you. So be sure to stick around for that. Plus, just moments ago, comments from President Biden as he tries to move away from his classified document scandal. Thank you very much. And a second look at the fine print as Facebook's parent company Meta welcomes Donald Trump back online. And we are back with our money lead. The U.S. economy grew by almost 3 percent during the fourth quarter of last year, defying fears the country is on the brink of recession. Well, this is welcome news for President Biden as he attempts to cast Republican economic proposals as catastrophic for Americans. CNN's Phil Mattingly is at the White House for us. So, Phil, the president just spoke in Virginia. What was his message? You know, Pamela, riding the wind of those good GDP numbers, better than expected numbers, as well as better than expected unemployment claims, really underscoring what the president believes that his administration has accomplished over the course of the last two years, but also drawing a very clear contrast with what they've seen from House Republicans in their opening weeks of the new majority, including on an issue that everyone is focused on for the months ahead, the debt limit. Take a listen. Actually, threatening to have us default on the American debt, a debt that's been accumulated over 230 years, okay? And the interest on that debt, we've never ever done that. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans deliberately choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. You know, Pamela, this was a nearly 40-minute speech just out in Virginia, and it was kind of a laying-the-groundwork type moment. The president's going to be on the road over the course of the next couple of weeks in the lead-up to the State of the Union address, the economy, what he believes are his accomplishments on the economy, and those contrasts with House Republicans in particular will be a central focus of all of those remarks, obviously all leading into the State of the Union address and potentially a re-election announcement in the weeks ahead. Yeah, we shall see. And also, Phil, the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is next month. I mean, hard to believe it's almost been a year. And you have some new information about how the Biden administration could mark that date. You know, Pamela, over the course of the last several weeks, White House officials have been meeting and mulling options to try and really elevate this anniversary to underscore both the resilience of the Ukrainian people in terms of how administration officials see it, but also the durability of a coalition that is stuck together throughout the course of the last 11 months, soon to be full year. We saw it uh, in on vivid display yesterday with the U.S. decision to send tanks in order to clear the way for Germany to send their own. And that may include, when that anniversary comes up, travel for the president to Europe. Potentially Poland is one of the ideas that they're uh, considering at this moment. There will be a, there is also discussion about a high-profile speech as well, making very clear they want to mark this moment, both for the symbolism, but also to underscore the necessity of keeping that coalition together for as long as it takes, Pamela. All right, Phil Maddenly at the White House, thank you. So let's Let's discuss. Francesca, I want to kick it off with you. Uh, you know, Biden, not surprisingly, is really touting these strong economic numbers, say, hey, here's the proof the economy is working under my administration um, and also using it as an opportunity to bash Republicans. Is this previewing perhaps his uh, reelection message? But also the state of the union, I think Phil's exactly right about that. And one key thing that we heard from the president today is that the $35 cap on insulin for seniors under Medicare, he said that's something that they want to expand to all Americans this year. So that's a firm policy commitment we heard from the president. But he also said that he would spend his time talking about the policy 
policies that they implemented last year through the Inflation Reduction Act. That's something Democrats tell me they see as very helpful in a time of congressional gridlock, this opportunity to talk about those accomplishments they had in the last Congress. I think it, it does come with some risk, though, because, you know, we're not out of the woods yet on inflation. And the last time he was sort of loud and proud talking about MAGA Republicans in that speech, I believe, in Philadelphia, he did receive a lot of criticism from the right that it was anything but unifying. But Republicans have really given uh, President Biden an opening here with their previewing of this uh, this fight over the debt ceiling by not outlining specifically what programs uh, they would cut. Uh, Congresswoman Nancy May, she was asked about this of South Carolina, and uh, she couldn't really give a clear answer suggesting, well, we're going to look at the agency heads and let them make a decision. Very uh, reticent to actually talk about what social programs are willing to eliminate. Yeah, and you saw the Ways and Means chairman put out a, a press release last weekend blasting Biden for not negotiating and, and wanting all these spending cuts, but refused to say what he'd like to cut. And one, one word you didn't see was entitlements, because they know very well that that is a losing issue for them. And yeah, also, look, you don't negotiate over paying your credit card bill every month, right? That's an obligation you have. Uh, the last time v- Vice President Biden negotiated a debt, uh, the debt ceiling didn't work out too well. Uh, our credit was de- our credit credit rating was down yeah. downgraded. The market was dis- destabilized, and Republicans, uh, you know, blew through the spending caps on the deal that they did make. They blew through those caps as soon as they got a Republican president. So they can't be trusted to negotiate it anyway. But Republicans, some of them drawing a line in the sand on this one. Well, Charlie. Look, this 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 is how it's going to run. They're doing a rerun of 2011. They're going to run bills about uh, cat, cap cut and balance, which is going to go nowhere. Uh, they're going to run a bill on debt prioritization, which, again, is going to go nowhere. And then sooner or later, there's going to be a serious negotiation uh, and there will be a, a, a raising of the debt ceiling. The question is, will it happen before or after a catastrophic event? And mm-hmm. I hope it's before. But I've been through so many of these fights and you're going to end up with something probably close to a clean debt ceiling. If they're smart, they'll do a Simpson Bowles 2.0 maybe with some teeth, require a vote on it. Uh, but that's where it's going to go. And the guy- You've been through this show before, yeah. right? But, but, You're but, like, you know, I know how this is going to play out. The guys are going to, they want $100 billion. Let's say McCarthy gets $50 billion. A lot of the guys who are demanding these cuts, they won't vote for a debt ceiling anyway. Right. That's, so there's that. The and I also want to note, you know, we're having this discussion amid this new poll uh, that just came out that Republican, they're obviously less than a month into their new House majority. And this poll shows nearly three quarters of Americans, 73%, think House GOP leaders haven't paid enough attention to the most important problems. Um, as we know, Republicans ran on inflation, the economy, saying, you know, we're going we're to impose spending cuts. But so far, they've mainly talked about investigations um, into Biden and his family. And it seems like perhaps that's backfiring here. And that's part of the contrast that President Biden and Democrats believe that they can draw here. But back to your point, Charlie, about how these are going nowhere, as Biden said today, that he would he would veto these. And you saw in CNN's polling that most Americans do believe that Republicans will have more influence over the agenda than Biden. But realistically, this this is a gridlocked Congress. Republicans in control of the House, Democrats in control of the Senate and Biden in control of the White House. And so, again, you're just not going to see much of these bills, whether they're led by Republicans or Democrats, getting through Congress. I think that's the reality. OK, we have to talk about Meta. Big news for Meta today and Donald Trump, right? Meta saying, Donald Trump, come back on Facebook and Instagram. Um, of course, he was removed after the January 6th riot. But they've established some some confusing rules, I, I guess you could say, for what he'll be allowed to do on the platform. He will be permitted to attack the results of the 2020 election without facing consequences from the company. However, 
The spokesperson said if Trump were to cast doubt on an upcoming election, the presidential race, the social giant will take action. Um, so they're saying basically he can lie about the past, not the future. How does that square? Well, and they've also said that they're going to put guardrails and they will intervene when they have to. Listen, we don't have to go very far to see how the former president, what he might say if he's let back on this platform. He has one now in Truth Social and we see him elevating, you know, QAnon conspiracy theories. So that is the real risk here. But, you know, it looks like Facebook or Meta does not want to be in the center of this perennial argument over what should constitute as free speech. Right. And, um, you know, there have been some organizations who have come out and said this is a good thing. Organizations that haven't necessarily been in favor of Trump, but say the public needs to know what's on his mind, what he's thinking. The question is, will he get back on Facebook? He hasn't gotten back on Twitter. He's allowed back right. there. Of course, Facebook is a different platform, and it's hard to run for president without Facebook. Yeah, and but like, look, this is the result of the insurrection, which was the result of a lie the president started about an election that was run fairly. Uh, it, in the words of Mitch McConnell, it wasn't even a very close election. The president won by 7 million votes. I think it was maybe the eighth most close election in history. So when you're starting lies that lead to violence, that lead to an insurrection, and it's like giving an, an arsonist some matches and letting them run around, uh, you know, a can full of gasoline. Yeah. All I, right. We can't let you go before we care, ask about. Go ahead. I could care less whether he's on Meta or Facebook or Twitter. I really could care less. It was nice that when he was quiet on social media, we didn't have to all listen to it. But he's got a platform, but I think most of us are well beyond whether he's on social media. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you before we let you guys go about Adam Schiff um, announced today that he is going to launch a campaign for the U.S. Senate in California, joining Katie Porter in that race. Senator Dianne Feinstein hasn't announced her intentions, but isn't expected to run again. Barbara Lee has signaled to colleagues she will enter that race as well. This is shaping up to be a really competitive race for the Dems. Who has the advantage here, Eva? You know, it is hard to say. They're going to be really similar on all of their platforms. California, not necessarily a competitive uh, state for Republicans. I would imagine a lot of money has poured into this race. We have seen uh, Congresswoman Porter able to elicit a lot of attention during these committee hearings. And that's why she had these big, big fundraising numbers as soon as she announced. I don't know who really pulls ahead. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, and Speaker McCarthy, by the way, I'm just wondering how this all plays into it. Yeah. Taking Schiff off of the Intelligence I, Committee, does I think that it was give a him huge the... gift yeah. to, to, to Schiff, not just for fundraising, but just highlights in a Democratic primary in California that Schiff, Schiff sort of led the charge against Donald Trump, not once, but twice. What do you think? I, I think this is a w- wide open, I agree, Michael, that I think that taking Schiff off Intel is only going to help Schiff in this primary. Yeah. It's, that's, that, that is a gift, and I think Schiff will be a very formidable uh, candidate uh, for for this seat, but uh, you yeah. know it's wide open. And again, they have and there's that a lot of talent. The, the yeah. lieutenant governor yeah. uh, has won statewide before. She's quite popular. There's other members who are considering getting in as well. Porter will have a lot of progressive support, but on the other hand, as you were saying before, Adam Schiff, when we talk about January 6th, he's been a real leader on that particular issue, too. So Democrats are going to have to find a way to distinguish their positions. It's going to be quite the fight in California for that seat. Thank you all so much. Up ahead, the murder trial for the former attorney accused of killing his wife and son. The key recording played in court today and the first witnesses called to testify. Up next. In our world lead, Ukrainian officials say 11 people are dead after an onslaught of Russian missile strikes across the country today. These homes just outside of Kyiv are now unrecognizable. Some in the capital city of Kyiv spent the morning sheltering in the subway, urged by local officials to take cover while Ukrainian air defenses trying to shoot down 
as much of the incoming fire as possible. Let's get right to CNN's Sam Kyla and Keeve. Sam, you were on the scene after missile debris killed a man. What did you see there? <clears throat> Well, this was a missile that had actually been shot down, but the debris landed uh, on Kiev, killing a man uh, in his 50s, uh, injuring two others, and landed pretty close, I have to say, to a very important uh, electrical generating plant, which was clearly the Russian target, as indeed, Pam, as you know, that this has been an ongoing campaign by the Russians using the Iranian-made Shahed drones in the first wave to try and draw off the air defences and then following up with cruise missiles, some of them armed with very substantial warheads of some 400 kilograms. Other them, uh, other of them, older nuclear-era cruise missiles minus the nuclear warhead just being again used to draw off air defences because clearly the Russians are bent on two things. The one is to break the back of the energy cap capacity here in Ukraine to cripple the civilian government, firstly, uh, and secondly, to try to overwhelm the air defences so that they can use their aircraft and missile capabilities more effectively against uh, the Ukrainian troops. And it is air defensives, really, that uh, President Zelensky has put right at the top of his uh, shopping list now for many months, notwithstanding the promise of uh, tanks that's come recently, Pam. All right, Sam Kelly, thanks so much. An attorney for one of the officers charged in the death of Tyree Nichols is speaking. Let's listen. We, uh, the next step will be that we officially sign on as lawyers for, for these defendants, and that triggers the beginning of the discovery process. So sometime in the near future, uh, we will get not only what's released to the public, but, but everything else. Uh, every single angle out there, every interview, uh, every piece of paper uh, that the state has, they will have to turn over to us. Counselor, there's a difference in the bond amounts were part of the Scorpion unit? Yes, I can confirm that uh, Mr. Mills was part of the Scorpion unit. And you, Mr. Massey? Yes, I can confirm Mr. Martin was part of the Scorpion unit. There's a difference in the bond amount between your two clients, but the charges are identical. Any thoughts or explanation there? Again, we're without information to answer a lot of these questions. So, so at this point, you're just clueless of what's going on with, with the whole thing because you, you don't have any answers for us right now because you haven't reviewed the video. You just know just bits and pieces, just like many of us. The state yeah. and TBI evidently have the answers right now that you uh, want to know the answer to, the questions you want to know the answer to, and uh, we're without information to answer the questions. Yes, sir. So I object I to the characterization of clueless. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, obviously we have, uh, I don't want to speak for Mr. Massey, but have spoken with our clients. Um, we obviously have started to think about potential defenses. We are getting to know our clients. Um, you know, I've spent some time with uh, Desmond Mills and uh, have learned a lot about his background. And uh, what I've learned so far is that he is uh, known not only here locally, but back where he's from in Connecticut as uh, just a, a gentle, respectful um, father, a uh, family man. I actually spoke with some of his family members today. His his father, who talked about his own admiration for his son, uh, as somebody who's dedicated his life to, to being a law enforcement officer. And not only is, is Mr. Mills obviously devastated to find himself charged with a crime, but uh, as somebody who is on the other side of law enforcement, somebody who has, has been in charge of, of keeping our community safe, to be accused of something like this hurts him on another level. Do you either have prior experience in any law, law enforcement departments? Uh, Desmond Mills does. He uh, Well, not law enforcement, but he uh, 
has been a jailer mm -hmm. both in Mississippi and Tennessee. I understand attorney-client privilege, but can you kind of talk about their disposition today? So, Bill, I'll let you <laughs> answer that one first. Well, anytime a police officer is going to jail, it's a traumatic moment. And so he was experiencing that this morning. Uh, I surrendered him to the TBI this morning, and uh, he resolved himself and moved forward. It's hard to know with, uh, with anybody, but especially with somebody uh, like Mr. Mills, who is very pretty mild-mannered, very respectful. He is put on a, a very strong facade, but I know underneath it all, this is causing him and his family a lot of anxiety um, and a lot of pain, um, not only for his own situation, but for what uh, this kind of uh, accusation, what this kind of incident is doing to our city. Um, so we are concerned, uh, I, I know I'm concerned not only as a, a lawyer for my client's safety, but for, uh, for this community and the, you know, the frustrations that uh, exist in this community, especially with these kinds of events. Um, so with that in mind, talking about um, turning them in, and uh, we do appreciate how law enforcement has cooperated with us and with our clients in making sure that they were able to turn themselves in safely, that they are safe within the jail, and that they will be released safely. Um, so uh, I know that Mr. Mills is posting his bond. He is in the process of being uh, let out. Um, and that will be, a, we, are, we are now at the very beginning of what will be a long process. Yes. Sir, can I ask you, Sheriff, um, if Mr. Mills has said anything about Tyree and the family and, and, and what happened? Well, <laughs> so when, when you talk about what happened, that is obviously something I can't talk about at this point. Uh, of course. Video of it? Like, have you been able to see the video? No, uh, they have not let uh, anybody see the video. Um, hearing that's going to be released soon, and we'll be be watching, obviously, with uh, you know, from a different angle, but we will certainly be watching as well. Mr. Massey, did your client have a bond out plan as well? Or was the first question? Or was the spoken happened? about um, Tyree Nichols and his family, or said anything about condolences even for the family? He could not be more upset about this entire situation. Um, again, somebody who has dedicated his life to protecting society, to protecting the community, to be accused of being involved in the death of another is, is devastating. Um, we have not had a conversation specifically about Mr. Nichols, but knowing Mr. Mills and the kind of person he is, uh, I, I cannot imagine that he has anything other than uh, feelings of, of, of grief for this family who has lost somebody. Uh, I understand we are defense lawyers, we are representing uh, people accused of, of causing somebody else's death, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, we're not aware of the fact that, that there is a lot of pain uh, from Nichols family and in this community. So we and our clients, uh, again, not to speak for Mr. Massey, but I know uh, I and, and my client, Mr. Mills, are well aware of that. All of us are. I think all of us are. And, you know, the state has had this matter indicted, and there are numerous allegations made against all of the officers. And I watched the conference today. I thought um, General Mulroy did a very nice job of, of presenting uh, his side to the media. Um, and he asked for justice. And we agree. Justice means following the law. And the law says that no one is guilty until a jury says they're guilty. 
And so that's that's a process, and that's going to take a long time. Eventually, the state will be able to place their case in front of a jury, group of citizens from the community. And if they have sufficient proof, that jury will say guilty. And if they do not have sufficient proof, that jury will say not guilty. At this point, we don't know what proof they have, because we've not seen, we do not have discovery, and we've not seen the video. So we're kind of in the blind right now, and this process is just starting. Mr. Martin, can you explain to us if uh, your client is bonding out today as well, and have you had your initial conversation with your client? Certainly. I spent the week with him. <laughs> Similar... Your description of him, and, and is it the same as time and police officer? How's he responding to all this? There is no way, I, no one out there that night intended for Tyree Nichols to die. Tyree Nichols to die. No one. No one. And is he bonding and out And it's shocking. That's shocking to the officers. It's shocking. I would just imagine. Police officers have a very difficult and dangerous job, and sometimes a thankless job. And it's probably one of their worst fears that something like this would happen on their watch. Uh, gentlemen, it's shocking. I'm sorry to interrupt. Gentlemen, both of you are experienced lawyers here. Um, this city hasn't seen anything like this with five officers uh, being charged at one time. Um, what would you say about the, the meaning of it in a historical context? this case, what it means to the city of Memphis, and, you know, any observations as to, you know, now Memphis is going to be a spotlight in terms of police reform and brutality, anything you can say about that? I think the public will get to see how the justice system works in Memphis and Shelby County. And I would say that uh, sometimes you can find a silver lining in any traffic tragic situation and you ask about police reform and whether these individual officers, officers committed a crime or did anything wrong uh, is certainly something that, that will be talked about and looked into uh, for the next few months if not longer. Uh, but talking about the idea of police reform, anytime you have uh, a catalyst to make your community better, even if it's, if it's comes out of a tragedy, uh, that's all you can hope for, right? That as a result of... Uh, uh, We're listening there yeah. to the attorneys for two of the indicted police officers there in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, Emmett Martin and Desmond Mills. You heard there the attorneys defending their clients, saying that uh, this has been a traumatic moment for them, being taken into custody, going to jail for, over the killing of Tyree Nichols, saying uh, that all of this is causing pain and anxiety for them, that they could not be more upset. The attorneys also made clear, though, that they have not seen all the evidence, including that video that will likely be uh, released tomorrow night. We'll be right back. A former Twitter employee who gave evidence to the January 6th Select Committee is speaking out publicly. The whistleblower says the committee missed an opportunity to hold social media companies accountable for their roles in the Capitol insurrection. CNN's Donio Sullivan has this exclusive report. I do fear for the future and what it may hold. You think there could be another January 6th in this country? Yes.
Anika Collier-Navaroli is a former Twitter employee turned whistleblower who testified before the January 6th committee initially anonymously. A lot of the locked and loaded stand back, stand by those tweets were in response to Donald Trump. Now she is speaking exclusively to CNN in her first television interview. I think it's really important for these findings from the committee about the roles that social media played within January 6th come to light. Navaroli says she can't talk specifics about her time at Twitter publicly, but she shared eye-opening details in depositions with the January 6th committee. One example, as Trump supporters gathered in Washington, D.C. on the eve of the Capitol attack, Navaroli and her colleagues warned management at Twitter there might be someone getting shot tomorrow, according to transcripts of her deposition. But Twitter leadership refused to take action. Attorney Alexis Ronecker spoke to CNN on behalf of a second Twitter whistleblower who is remaining anonymous. It wasn't actually until the doors of the Capitol were being breached that Twitter leadership started taking action. At that point, it was too little too late. The real world harm and violence had happened. How did you feel as an American just seeing this happen? Terrified. It was horrifying um, to experience political violence happen within our country at such a grand scale. Jacob Glick was a lawyer for the January 6th committee who deposed Navaroli. She described employees, including herself, coming forward to warn uh, their supervisors. In Anika's telling, they were denied over and over and over and over. And who knows what could have been avoided if uh, they had listened to her and her colleagues sooner. But Navaroli is not happy with the January 6th committee's final report. Social media companies are mentioned hundreds of times within the final report. However, their role or their responsibility within that day and the events of that day and the violence that occurred has not been fully laid out. The committee had a so-called purple team dedicated to looking into social media and extremism. CNN obtained a copy of an unpublished draft document the team prepared. Much of it, which focused on social media's role in the run-up to January 6th, did not make it into the final report. This is what did not make it into the final cut. Social media companies fail to anticipate post-election violence. Social media platforms had a delayed response to the rise of far-right extremism. Twitter was paralyzed by a fear of political reprisals. Key decisions at Twitter were bungled by incompetence and poor judgment. I risked a lot to come forward and to speak to the committee and to share the truth about these momentous occasions in history. And I think it is really a missed opportunity that the committee did not include that information forefront and center within their report. Anika and others say the January 6th committee missed a real opportunity here. You worked on the committee. Do you agree with that? The report did its job exceedingly well, which was to show the American public the dangers posed by um, President Trump's multi-layered attack on our democracy. As for the draft document, Jacob Glick says it includes errors and shouldn't have been released. Do you think social media companies fully appreciate the role that they played in January 6th? I don't think so. That lack of um, awareness of responsibility is, is stark. By seeing this information, we will be able to understand better what happened on January 6th in order to ensure that it doesn't continue to repeat itself. 
And Pam, social media companies like Twitter have gone to great lengths over the years to explain what they say are doing to crack down on violent rhetoric on their platforms, including, of course, in the run-up to January 6. Now, in response to these whistleblower complaints, some sources told us, look, not everything the committee uh, learned could fit into that final report. Thank you. And just ahead, more reaction from Memphis to charges in the death of Tyreen Nichols. The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer is next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.